A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National, presented by Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. The Zoological Society of London has collated a list of the world's most evolutionarily distinct and globally endangered species in what they call their each list. And number one on their list of amphibians is a tiny New Zealand native frog. Archie's frog is found only in the Coromandel and at one side in the King Country, and it is the smallest of our four ancient native frogs. These are frogs like no other. They're forest frogs that have no external ears, no croak, and no tadpoles. Alison joins longtime frog fan Ben Bell from Victoria University of Wellington on his annual frog count in the Coromandel to find out more about these remarkable frogs and the fungus that is threatening them and other amphibians around the world. So we're here on a frog hunt, Ben, and there is yes. a way of going about it. Right, well, we search for the frogs on a 10 by 10 metre plot, which has been worked now for this is the 35th year we've worked it, and... We start by going down to the southwest corner, which is the lower right corner of the grid, and from there we work up in bands, each doing about a metre, carefully lifting the rocks as we go. Now, these frogs by day mostly spend their time under the rocks. Use your head torches to look under the rocks, make sure you don't find frogs which look like leaves and not realise they're there. OK, so it really is a case of getting your eye in. Getting your eye in from something like one, one to, to five centimetres, yes, yes. And they're green and cryptic, green and brown, uh, often very beautifully coloured. They're the real jewels of Coromandel, in my view. <laughs> we, of course, wear gloves all the time. This is a site where chytrid fungus persists at a low level in the population. Chytrid fungus, the pathogenic fungus that has affected amphibia worldwide. And that may be in the the main factor in the decline we saw here back in 1996 when we had an 88% reduction. So that was the main outcome of this study so far, to have documented and alerted everyone to this major decline in Archie's frog, and following that time, that decline worked its way up the Coromandel Peninsula. Fortunately, our current indicators are that the frogs are beginning to recover, and we've detected a small but definite increase since about 1999. It's wet today, so we should get quite a few frogs fairly near the surface, so here's hoping we have a good catch. Found one. Fantastic. So, Jean, do you want to describe how we've just spent the last hour and a quarter? (laughs) Crawling around on our hands and knees, lifting rocks and sifting through all the leaf litter. They're sweet little frogs, aren't they? Yeah. So we've got, what, four species of native frogs? So there's four species of native frogs, and we've got um, three Australian frogs in New Zealand. So how do I tell the difference between a native frog and an introduced frog? So the easiest way um, to tell the difference is if you hear a frog calling, then it's Australian, because the native frogs are actually completely silent, and if you actually look at them, they don't have eardrums on the side of their head. So an Australian frog, you'll see, if you look at the side of the head, you'll see big circles. That's their eardrum, because they uh, use sound to communicate. But the native frogs, none of them 
make any noise and they actually communicate through chemicals more like salamanders. And the most amazing thing about them is we're not, we're nowhere near a stream. So other than uh, hutch-sitters frogs are aquatic, but the other three species, uh, the Maud Island frog, the Hamilton's frog, and the Archie's frogs are all terrestrial frogs. And so, yeah, you find them in the bush and under rocks, sometimes up trees at night time. Well, I have to say that it's now raining heavily enough that Although I've done quite well on the frog finding, I can't actually see anything through my glasses anymore. <laughs> so I might follow Ben back to the car, where he's processing the frogs that we've caught so far. Yeah, that sounds good. So I've come to join you at the processing side of things, Ben, and yes. you have this fantastic camera set up. Do you yes. want to just explain that? Yes, it's that? called a, a mirror stage. It was developed by Harvey Holpersel of, of DOC um, when he was head of the Frog Recovery Group, and it allows you to take a photograph of a frog and using a mirror system with a mirror in front and along each side of a frog and a camera above, you're able to take effectively the sides, the front, the front of a head, and the back all into one shot and from that colour pattern of the individual frog photographed in that way we're able to individually identify each frog by their distinctive patterns. They come in various shades of brown and green and combinations of both and the dark and paler patches on the body are varied from individual to individual so in almost all cases we're able to identify a frog down to a photograph so if this is a retrap i've got now a recapture from a previous trip it'll take some hours going through a reference collection of photographs and as soon as the human brain picks out the, the frog you, you usually get it in, in one pass oh yes that's it Fantastic. So how many years have you been taking ID photos of the frogs here? Uh, probably about uh, 10 years, at least 10 years. And um, how many frogs in your library? Uh, well, we've been working here, of course, a lot longer. We've got probably several hundred frogs now. So you take their photos, you also collect a few measurements, their length, their leg length, their weight. Yes. Note their colour, how fat they are. And we, <laughs> we take a swab, um, a swab for... Uh, assays of chytrid fungus using PCR DNA uh, analysis later on. And what's the incidence of chytrid fungus here? Do many of them have it? No, it's, it's, it's low, somewhere between 5 and 10% of the individuals at the site. Um, at one time it got up as high as about 14%. The frogs that do have it, are you seeing them survive from year to year though? Is it killing them? No, they appear to be um, reasonably resistant to it. Some individuals disappear. Uh, what we've, we found two things since the population crashed. One is that the survivors, especially the females, which differentially survived because they're the larger frogs, they got larger and larger, so they seem to be doing very well. But we've lost a lot of the younger size classes that we used to have. And in recent years, we've not made up for those, although we do find breeding occurs here. We find... Uh, males with, with broods of young on the, on the site and we catch some very small yearling or, or sub-adult frogs. So they are recruiting slowly um, but the old females which survived better than the smaller size classes which are males and juveniles in the, in the main crash um, appear to not have made up the ground to the same extent. This one's a female 
doing relatively well um, and we've had one or two females today already looking quite large for Archie's frogs from this site. In the earlier years we'd never get them as large as one or two we've had today. So I have another frog here for you and is this going to be at the Hockstedters do you think? Well, I'm fairly certain we caught one so let's just see. Now this looks like a small brown frog to me so it's explain to me what makes this different from an Archie eye. It's a stouter frog, it's got thicker limbs, it's got webbing on the extending on a lot of the hind legs which Archie's doesn't have, it has no little or no webbing. Oxeter's frogs is, is mostly found in wetter places along seepages and into creek systems draining those ranges. You've taken a swab for that Hoxtetter's frog, do they get chytrid fungus as well? No, Hoxtetter's frog don't, there's been no positives for chytrid fungus anywhere in New Zealand from Hoxtetter's frog and here of course they're living literally side by side with Archie's frogs which have a chytrid fungus so it's um, yes clearly not a species which is susceptible. What do we know about the chytrid fungus? Do we know where it came from, how it ended up in New Zealand? There's a lot of speculation, a lot of ideas. Probably it got to New Zealand through imported amphibians and one of the possibilities is the Xenopus, the clawed frog or clawed toad from South Africa which was brought in for pregnancy testing um, back in the 60s or thereabouts or maybe earlier and it, it's apparently a host to chytridae of mycosis in South Africa. Um, so it's possible that, that it came here through an introduced amphibian. Equally, we do have um, in other species arriving here from time to time, from Australia particularly, also from Asia. Um, so its actual origins in New Zealand are a bit of a mystery. Um, but certainly it's interesting to see that of the native frogs, only... As far as we know, Archie's frog has been susceptible, particularly here in the Coromandel. How many years have you been working here at this site? I hate to say. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> More or less from when I first came to New Zealand, which was, um, I guess, from the early 70s. And I started this particular study uh, in 1982, so it's been, this is its 35th year um, that we've been monitoring these frogs. Initially, I thought it would be a five-year study uh, but then started to find interesting things happening, like the population crash in 1996, which meant that it was important to keep going to see exactly what would happen to the frogs. They went from relatively unthreatened to critically endangered, and they are listed as the world's most evolutionary distinct and critically endangered frogs. The Zoological Society of London have this edge list of um, threatened amphibians and other animals, and Archie's frog is number one on the edge list. Having said that, we have found locally that the species has held its numbers since that main crash, and in fact there's been a slight increase since about 1999 in this population here, which we've been monitoring, but it's a very slight increase. It's what's known as a case-selected frog, so it takes a long time to, to grow and reach maturity, probably in this case around about four or five years before they reach anything like the adult size, a little longer in the larger females. And so it takes time for a population like this to, to recover. Now, before its population crash in 1996, what kind of numbers were you finding in your, in your survey grid? The actual population estimates were up to 500 or more on that plot. 
and certainly on occasion I'd find as many as five under a single rock. Today, we, most rocks we lift have no frogs. So I went for an estimate of more than 500. What's your population estimate now? It's about somewhere between 150, 200 by the population estimate. In terms of captures, we used to catch in this sampling day of the order of 50, 60, up to 110, 120 individuals. Now it's 5 to 15, usually. We did get about 20 last time we came. Today it looks as though we're going to be about 15 again. How long do these frogs live for? Well, very surprising. Archie's frog lives, we've got at least one 27-year-old. Hoxeters, we've not had so many, but we've got one of those into its mid-teens. And the exceptional case is a Maud Island frog, which I've now got one at least 40 years old, and a lot over in over the 35 mark. So they are long-lived. How long, we don't know, but certainly up to 40. Well, you've done 35 years here on the Coromandel, so you're just going to have to keep going. Just have to keep trying. <laughs> See who outlives who. <laughs> That was Ben Bell from the School of Biological Sciences at Victoria University of Wellington. And you also heard Jen Germano from the Department of Conservation. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Ka kite anō. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.